All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to record another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we'll thank our friends Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. As a longtime title sponsor of the Nolcast, uh, ever so fortunate to be able to partner with them. And uh, Bud, you know, it seems like we've said this a lot this summer, but uh, awful lot of things to jump into and cover for a second podcast of the week uh, here in the end of July. So uh, let's jump into it. Got a couple of listener questions, got some conference realignment talk, which people always love. And then uh, we'll do a little recruiting as well. So I uh, should have a good show tonight. Looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. As always, brought to you by Louisiana Hot Sauce and Tarpon Cellars, longtime sponsors of the Nolcast. Thanks for keeping us the number one Florida State podcast out there. Where, where do you want to start tonight? Like, not a lot going on in the world of college football. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, to no one's surprise, uh, the SEC officially extended uh, invitations to Oklahoma and Texas this afternoon, uh, which has started a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of conversation. I'm not sure there will necessarily be as much uh, action, or at least immediate action when paired with, you know, how much conversation that this has brought about, but that's just, you know, the way these things go. And anytime we see a uh, significant shift of the uh, tectonic plates that make up college football, that that's always going to catch everybody's attention. And certainly conference realignment holds a special place in some people's hearts. And uh, I have a feeling that they'll have, you know, probably a couple years to kind of scratch this itch. I would agree with you, man. Let's go ahead and start with with John Thrasher's comments. Uh, he spoke to, I believe, Kurt Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat. Uh, shout out, Kurt. Uh, known him for a long time. Used to work for me back at Tomahawk. Thrasher, the, the outgoing president, John Thrasher, quote, my point is, or my point to FSU Athletics Director David Coburn and to uh, new ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips is I don't want Florida State to be left behind. I consider us part of the ACC, but I also know that we are, have a marquee name Clemson has a marquee name. So, uh, interesting quote there. I think he also said, "Like I'm, you know, I'm sure people are are interested in us, but didn't really give any any specifics uh, about that." Yeah, I, I, it is. There's certainly some ambiguity to his comments, uh, and also I don't. Thrasher's been a very good president for Florida State. I'm certainly not trying to take shots at him when I say this, but I don't know that he's necessarily in a in a place to do anything about conference realignment at this point. He can certainly give guidance to uh, the current athletic director and he can give feedback to the ACC commissioner, but you know, it's not as though you're going to bring in a new president and then say, uh, Oh, congratulations. In the last four weeks, I, you know, negotiated some monumental <laughs> uh, shift in, in where we are and incident that's going to have a pretty significant impact on the university as I walked out the door. So if you want to be enthused by those comments uh, as a Florida State fan, I certainly would not try to stop you. Uh, but I don't know that that, like, I, I see some people have seen those comments and be like, hey, that's, he's not just talking there. That, that's significant of, of action soon to come from Florida State. I, I, my personal opinion is that you may be a little bit disappointed if you think that, uh, that Florida State's going to be the first entity to move in this process here. I agree. Um, Ingram, I, I want to to start off. We've been about a week now since it was really clear that this actually was going to happen, that Texas and Oklahoma were going to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. The SEC today voted, and no surprise, they said, yeah, Texas and Oklahoma. 
come on down. Of course, they didn't do anything to reach out to them. That was entirely Texas and Oklahoma's uh, you know, want to do. While we were not proactively looking for new members, but uh, but yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, sometimes, look, it just falls into your lap, right? Not looking for love, and all of a sudden, it just, it just happened. You, I, I think it is very notable that nobody, not Dennis Dodd, Pete Thamel, I'm trying to think who else out, out there, Andy Staples, Bruce Feldman, Pat Forty, Chris Hummer, David Teal, David Hale, to you know, be a little more ACC specific, you know, Heather Denich on this. Nobody at all has suggested in any way that there is a way for the top programs in the ACC to get out of their contract. We have seen numbers thrown around for Oklahoma and Texas that they would owe about $80 million. We have seen the theory that maybe ESPN could advance them the money that they owe them for the Longhorn Network, maybe for a little... Uh, you know, do you have a do you have a structured settlement? Would you like a lump sum payment, <laughs> JG Wentworth style or something, to pay off the Big Twelve so they could leave earlier? And we'll see how that all goes down. But with the ACC, the ACC is entitled to all of the money made off FSU football for media rights through twenty thirty six, the same as it is for all the other teams in the conference. So let's just say that's twenty million a year. That's fifteen more years. You're talking about 300 mil. That is just a completely different ballpark, right? Than what Texas, Oklahoma are dealing with. Maybe they can take that 80 million and negotiate it down to something. Maybe the rest of that conference collapses before they ever end up having to, having to pay it. Although at this point, I think their best option is to try to fight it out and get that money because they're not going to get a lot of money elsewhere. But don't you find it? Uh, notable that nobody out there, and I'm sure they're all looking into it to figure out, try and guess the next move. Nobody has even suggested that there is a way out of the ACC. Yeah, I mean, I I talked to who I think is is uh, you know a guy that that we've known for ten years and had a great relationship with, and in my opinion, is is probably you know one of the best three sources uh, when it comes to these matters close to Florida State. His word is uh, more or less there is no contractual get out of jail for free card, uh, that the contractual angle is more or less a non-starter in their eye. Um, you know, there's no, there's, there's no aha moment coming here from a contract standpoint. You're, you know, you're going to have to, uh, live and die with the consequences as to what's put in, in legal writing as, as far as that perspective goes. So like, what are we talking about getting out, getting out of the ACC? No, no reporter seems to think there is. Nobody from a conference is leaking it to anybody that maybe we can get out doing this or that. Your inside sources say it's just completely a non-starter. It sounds like FSU is going to be in the ACC unless there's just some kind of ridiculous you know, merger deal or, or something like that, right? Something that would just totally shake the, the core of college football, much more than just Oklahoma and Texas leaving. Certainly. I don't know of any type of merger that's really even possible at this point. Uh, I could see where the ACC would try to, in theory, selectively snipe some schools from, not from the remnants of the Big 12. I want to reiterate, I don't think there's any entity there. Now, if, if ESPN came to you and put three schools together and suggested West Virginia as a fourth or something like that, then maybe there's a chance. But uh, moving as your own separate entity, I don't think any of the former 
Big 12 schools are something that the ACC would have an interest in. Uh, you know, again, maybe maybe something were happen where you'd take a look at a Baylor or something like that. But in my opinion, if the ACC grows, uh, it will grow by trying to add schools from the Big Ten or if you want a kind of fanciful uh, idea out there. I've had two different people talk to me about uh, the potential creation of a coastal conference uh, where you would go and try to uh, pick off some of the better properties on the West Coast. And, you know, I don't know that that's a great option, uh, but I think Florida State's perspective on this is more to try to push the ACC to be very aggressive in evaluating what it can do uh, both from adding schools, uh, but also to reevaluate its model. Now, that doesn't mean that you only give Wake Forest 35% of a share or something like that. Uh, but I have heard some talk about maybe having some kind of incentive structure or pushing for an incentive structure based off either division titles, appearances in the college football structure, uh, pro, excuse me, appearances in the college football playoff, et cetera. You know, I, I do believe the ACC is going to, what's the number, uh, Bud, the Big 12? Some, an estimated number was somewhere with the removal of Texas and Oklahoma. Oh, from 37 million to 9 million. To 9. So you're going to take that 9 million and you're going to, you know, metaphorically beat some of these schools over the head and say, hey, look, would you be interested in maybe taking a 0.85 share and having some of this other money uh, grouped together and, and given to more of the football schools? So are you interested in getting a paycheck for approximately 25 million or are you, you know, want to be cute and in 10 years, look at a, uh, you know, look down the barrel at, at very shortly be, you know, saddled with some kind of contract from the mid American or big South or, you know, whatever conference there. I don't even know if the big South exists, but uh, I think you get what I'm saying here. So I do. They would want the ACC to explore. Now, I don't think the ACC would ever go to a model similar to what the Big 12 had, where it was just, okay, Texas is getting this much, Oklahoma is getting this much. In general, that is pretty much a recipe for the death of a conference over time. It doesn't really work out. But could you try to structure some kind of incentive model? Uh, it wouldn't shock me to see that come about in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I think... Uh... I think some of these schools would be pretty smart to to take that, to be honest. And I I do wonder if sometime very far down the line, some schools are going to be told, hey, you'll take a you know, 0.7 share or you can't be in the league because you're here essentially just for our scheduling convenience. Um, you, don't, you don't really bring anything to the league uh, and you're largely replaceable, right? Like, like what teams in the ACC are replaceable and, and which teams are not? I would argue that probably FSU, Clemson, and North Carolina are the three schools that you absolutely have to have to keep the ACC going, right? If you lose one, that really kind of starts to topple it. Yeah, not from an athletic standpoint, but from a the woven fabric of the conference. If the Big Ten came in and took Virginia away, I would say that's probably another pillar that would... Uh, like, if they were able to... Mm, not comparable to the other three you talked about, but if somebody grabs Virginia, I would imagine that the conference would be would be dead in three or four years, just because it displays an ability to go in and get a school that is as ACC as possible. Did you did you see this? 
So Heather Dennis caught up with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who doesn't think Texas-Oklahoma moves will slow the college ball playoff expansion or ruin his relationship with Big 12's Bob, Bob <laughs> Bowlesby. Did you see the uh, the letter addressed to Dear Bob today from ESPN? I thought that was hilarious. Um, both in the uh, the title given to somebody and just the general wording on there. But yeah. Um, I mean, that is awesome. Quote, there's a level of respect that's present and will remain going forward. Yes, that level is zero. It will probably also remain at zero. Uh, <laughs> like you might respect the hustle, yeah, but like yeah, you're gonna be at zero for a little while. If anything, there is to be respected is that these two parties, you know, did this dance over a six, eight, ten month period, however long you may think, and there was virtually, you know, really no virtually, pretty much no leaking of any, uh, you know, bit. Some and that I will at least tip my hat to them that uh, these. Parties were able to uh, get together, have a meeting of the minds, and this did not, you know, make its way on to social media or some message board or whatever else. So, uh, good form from that perspective. So, real quickly before we go away from this, I do want to a couple of things that I've heard from ACC people uh, where they're kind of positive, and now maybe this is just people trying to talk themselves into something. But uh, if your belief which it's, in my opinion, certainly become more clear over the last 48 hours or so. But if your belief that, yes, the, the SEC would love to grab Texas and Oklahoma, but that, you know, ESPN slash Disney is the ultimate driver behind this, uh, this occurring, then there have been people at the ACC who think that those, you know, that entity uh, would, would have a vested interest in making sure that the conference stays a very viable product and, and that they're able to market this inventory that they have a contractual contractual stranglehold over for the next 15 years, uh, that they would be partners with you in going and trying to add uh, another blue chip program and Notre Dame or something like that. So that uh, you may see some kind of, uh, you know, support from a TV perspective that, uh, if you if you choose to believe is similar in the SEC model, uh, that that may occur. So uh, we'll just see. You know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 both have uh, TV contracts that come up here relatively quickly. I'm certainly not trying to start any rumors or go to message boards or anything else. But last week we talked about that Texas had long been, uh, you know, something that the ACC as a conference had checked in on. And David Teal wrote about, you know, some kind of tarmac meeting that they had six or seven years ago in kind of a similar fashion. I can tell you that Penn state's always kind of been on the league's radar. Again, I'm not trying to start a rumor that Penn state's going to join the conference or anything else, but I would fully expect the conference to explore some schools of the big 10 and, and Penn state being one of them. Now, you know, what kind of deal would you have to put together for the Penn state people not to look at the big 10 money and shut the door and laugh in your face? I don't know. Uh, but I would, you know, expect the conference to be aggressive in pursuing all options, and I'm sure there'll be a, a call or two made to Happy Valley. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they, they absolutely should. But if you're Penn State, there's no reason for you to leave, really, right? I mean, unless you want to give them a huge share. Like the Big Ten is about to get passed by the ACC for a little bit, or excuse me, by the SEC, excuse me, for a little bit. Uh, and then I would have to think that... Uh, um, they'll probably pass the SEC or come close to it when they do their renegotiation. One thing to consider here 
is that Fox, we could say, oh, Fox just lost its property with the Big 12. And it did, right? Like it's, I'm sure it's disappointed not to have Oklahoma and Texas anymore. But this also means that Fox now has considerably less competition in its bidding uh, for those Big Ten rights. And Big Ten rights are an absolutely huge deal. I know we are located in the South. I'm sure most of our listeners are in the South. I'm here to tell you all, the Big Ten is a really important college football property. You got a lot of old, old schools that a ton of people watch up there, uh, you know, much more than they watch like a UVA or a, you know, a Duke or something like that. Um, even if you, you know, they don't seem that popular, they, they are. Um, we could talk about you know, Rust Belt migration and, and people you know, fleeing the, the Midwest, but man, it, it's, it's still a thing. It's going to be a big deal. Well, they still watch their they still watch their their teams. I mean, migration can occur. It, trust me, drive to any Atlanta sports bar on a Saturday and see how many Ohio State fans there are. I mean, it, it's uh, I don't that doesn't surprise me. And they they also have a great uh, you know great brand in Olympic sports, and people people really love that conference and pay attention to it. So, uh, yeah, it, it, just as you're saying there, I mean, that's kind of in pair with why you may see or at least why some in the ACC may think that uh, ESPN slash Disney would, uh, would be an aggressive supporter of theirs in trying to add uh, properties from other conferences. But, you know, we'll have to see if any of this really comes to fruition. Completely agree. Um, we got a couple of questions about this. I've not spoken to Josh Newberg about this, but I guess earlier he tweeted that uh, he expects FSU to be proactive with the realignment. Okay, so I mean, that's like that's easy to say, right? Just like when I tweeted out, I, I, I believe FSU has interest in the SEC, right? If, if it could get out of its ACC, ACC deal, which of course it can't, at least not as far as anybody understands it right now. What, what in your mind does being proactive look like? Is it signaling to the SEC that if they want you, kind of, you're, you're interested? Is it making sure that Clemson and Miami and UNC know that you would jump, uh, like in a tandem jump, if somehow something crazy happened like what 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 beyond that is it marketing yourself well making sure you're raising money like how proactive can you be when you have a 300 million dollar anchor around your neck you know when I, I think very highly of josh and i'm not trying to to take shots at that tweet or anything else but, but in my opinion that tweet was more a response to john thrasher's comments which i'm not sure oh, okay what I can take away from John Thrasher's comments other than a president on his way out who wanted to, uh, you know, let the, let his piece be known that, you know, Florida State's a marquee brand and he sees it as such. Um, I don't, uh, again, I, I don't claim to know everything that goes on. I've talked to a decent amount of people. I don't know the avenue that Florida State can be proactive except for aggressively pushing the conference in some of the manners that I just talked about as far as, uh, you know, incentivize shares, things like that. You can let the SEC know. I mean, the SEC knows you don't, that's not a, that's not a message that needs to be sent to Birmingham. SEC. Yeah. You can talk. I mean, I believe that Florida state and Clemson have a pretty good relationship right now and that they are, you know, exploring what their options are and you can be proactive in that manner. But I believe that there's a general want to leave the conference from some of the more powerful people at the school uh, I have not heard a roadmap as to how go about doing that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, so let me throw you this one at you too. What would you say is the impact of not having uh, the president in place yet and not having an athletic director yet? Well, um, I don't, you know, quick answer, bud. I don't know. The second 
part of that quick answer is, I don't know what you're missing out on by not having a defined leadership structure right now. I mean, I don't think you're fielding calls from, from you know, the Big Ten or any other conference at this moment. Uh, I don't know even who would take those calls. I mean, you have a guy who, in theory, may become your athletic director. Uh, I don't know if you're letting... Mike Alford, uh, run point on that. Uh, I, you know, this incoming president could come in and decide that, uh, he think Mike Alford's done a great job with Seminole boosters and that's where he wants to stay. Uh, and you know, you'd have to see if you're able to keep him. I will say I got, I, I did get a little bit of pushback on that. I'm going to stand by what I think is going to happen here, which is basically that, you know, I, I do think that Alford will be the next AD. There are people inside the building who basically already refer to him as such. Uh, but I will say I got I got some text pushback saying, eh, I don't know. Like, don't rule out Puritan here, right? Like, don't rule out them having an actual search now that they have a new president. And you can have the plans for what's going to happen in place. But when you get the new boss in, sometimes things go differently. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm fully acknowledging that. I will say that if... In my opinion, if Michael Alfred's not your athletic director, he's not employed by Florida State for very long. But um, yeah, that I mean, that's that is uh, that is a very real possibility that he's not your athletic director. You just don't know the future is going to look like from a leadership perspective. So, to an extent, Florida State's almost—I don't want to say lucky, but you know, they're not for the short window of time missing out on anything by not having a, you know, well-defined president, athletic director, or, uh, or AD, or excuse me, president, uh, athletic director, or if that space was vacated, a president of your boosters. So, um, yeah, well, we'll have to see, but I don't know in, in Florida state's pursuit of being proactive, but I don't know who would be necessarily even leading that March right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's, I think that's a good point. Like if it goes on forever, then that's where I think you could present or you could potentially have problems because I do think it will take a little bit of time for the next moves in this to happen, at least the next moves that will impact Florida State. And, and I don't know that those moves are going to take in the next 15 years until the grant of rights runs out. You know, uh, that probably not. Look, Texas didn't wait until 2025 to make the jump. They, they made the jump when they had a couple of years left on the deal. If we get to 2030 under the terms of this current deal, well, it's not going to be worth all that much. I guess you can probably get out of it then. Right now, it's, it's worth a hell of a lot of money and, and it's pretty prohibitive. I also think we're going to have a little bit of a slowdown with the college football playoff vote. I know Greg Sankey said he doesn't think so because they all uh, negotiated based on what they thought was best for the sport. <laughs> but, uh, basically, all of the other conference commissioners who are quoted in the article said, eh, I don't know. Might need to reconsider that given the changing landscape of the sport. Uh, quote, it's unfortunately likely to delay approval of the college football playoff expansion plan. First year Pac-12 commissioner George uh, Klyovkov told ESPN on Thursday. I think there's going to be realignment fallout. We have to get through before we understand what format for an expanded college football playoff works best for all of college football. Uh, Sankey said, the full set of principles and priorities that led to the 12-team proposal have nothing to do with any of the recent moves. <laughs> but he would be happy to explain that if asked for them. Yeah, um, Klaukov uh, responded that uh, there is some concern about the way the 12-team proposal was constructed with a limited number of folks in the room and imperfect information between the people who actually were in the room. 
the process, the proper process is everybody who has a say should have a say and everybody should be operating with the same information. So, um, yeah, I don't know if Greg Sankey's going to get his wish about how quickly this 12-team playoff gets approved. I, I had a person at the ACC tell me just as much uh, on uh, on Wednesday when all this stuff started to happen, being last Wednesday, not uh, n- not the 27th or not the 28th. So that was uh, that was pretty interesting. I don't know what's going to happen here, man. Like I know I'm going to keep enjoying college football. I don't think FSU is going to be in a position where it doesn't play college football in two years. I don't think Clemson will either. Uh, nor will North Carolina. These programs are all spending an awful lot of money. They're investing. They have good booster bases. FSU's working to, imp- to improve its booster base. It's not in a situation where it's all of a sudden going to drop off the face of the earth because it's not in the SEC. If there's a Super League, I remain confident that Florida State will be one of the teams in the Super League. If it's not the SEC, maybe it's the Big Ten or the you know Big Atlantic or whatever the hell we're going to call this thing. I don't think they're going to pass on having teams in the state of Florida. No, no, certainly not. You want to give some shout outs or you want to talk more expansion? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll just reiterate what you said. I I know some people thought that the last podcast we did was like particularly negative about what the, the options are. Ultimately, I think Florida state's going to be in good shape. Uh, They've got a great story to tell as far as they're part of the legacy of the sport. Uh, the state of Florida has been nothing but a population, you know, added massive amounts of population uh, over the last, well, whatever window you want to define, but particularly the last three to five years continues to grow. Um, Florida State's improved its academic standing in a to a level that's hard to almost quantify. Uh, Florida State will be okay at the end of at the end of this. Uh, it'll just have to see how long that you know, how long of a carnival ride this is and, and what it looks like uh, to whatever the ultimate kind of final form of college football and, and where it appears to be going. So I think that's fair. That's uh, my final two cents on realignment Palooza, at least uh, for tonight. So, yeah, man, let's do throw some shout outs. Uh, we've got some great, uh, great new partners with a good team, the legendary team of Shannon and Chad, I believe. One or two of these people you may actually know personally from a uh, a non uh, sponsory of the podcast point of view. I do, uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and give the new homeowner or new refi shoutouts to. Uh, we're on the road to two hundred, as Shannon likes to. Sh- Shannon's a big hashtag guy for the emails, so he hit us with the hashtag the road to two hundred. Love it. That would be two hundred uh, home loans or refis through the legendary team eight four four FSU loan eight four four FSU loan. Give them a call. Tell them we sent you awesome customer service, great rates, knowledge of the industry is unmatched now in Georgia and Tennessee. So shout outs, Charles and Candace, congrats on the new home. Hoyt, uh, congrats on the new home as well, uh, as well as Austin and Christina. So a couple more here in the last two weeks of July. It's, uh, that's pretty solid, man. I'm into that. That is very solid. Yeah. Great to see, uh, great to see the numbers continue to grow. And that's a, that's a partnership that's, uh, you know, one that'll be hard for us to ever replicate, but uh, great working with Shannon and Chad and fantastic that our listeners have uh, enjoyed it as much as we have. So something that uh, I don't believe has been the case in an awful long time, maybe, I don't know about how long it's been, but there are no Florida State players on the all ACC team, at least the preseason all ACC team as dictated uh, by the media. I'm not necessarily sure even who, could have been a fringe player. I mean, uh, 
maybe you're transferred from Georgia, but that's a tough ask of, uh, of someone and a, a media to be familiar and, you know, want to give a, a transfer that type of uh, preseason love. But I mean, does it come as a surprise to you, bud, that there's no <laughs> Florida state players on the all ACC team? No, I, I didn't vote for any. Um, and that's not me being mean or negative. I just, I, I think it is probably, you know, too much of a projection to be honest. For, for that to, for that to happen at this point, it's possible. It's just not something that I, I feel good about predicting. I think there are some guys on this team. If we had to vote for a second team All ECC, that I would give some consideration to. I mean, is there anybody on offense you would vote for second team All ECC? I can't, I can't think of anyone. No. Yeah, me neither. Like, could but there are guys I could see balling out and making it. But right now, I just don't project them to make it. You know, could McKenzie Milton have an awesome year? I guess it's possible. He has to beat out Jordan Travis first, which we'll see what happens with that. Uh, maybe Andrew Parchment. Yeah, maybe Parchment. I mean, maybe Love Taylor if if Florida State sure. plays well. And that's that's probably a probably a stretch. And that's that's the only offensive sides uh, that immediately come to mind uh, on the defense. Maybe Cooper. Maybe Gainer. Maybe Gainer. Yeah. Maybe I'm just being a fanboy. Maybe Travis J. <laughs> Jarvis Brownlee, perhaps. What about Jarvis Brownlee, perhaps? Like th- that's a guy I could see maybe go uh, to, you know, all, second team All ACC if he balls out. Like, I don't, like first of all, he has to start. I mean, a guy who we're very confident is going to start is Jamie Robinson. So perhaps you know, he could be a guy who could sneak on there. Usually, like your All ACC voting is based on how many interceptions you get, which is a combination of luck and skill. So it's it can be difficult to project or you just have a whole lot of name recognition. I don't know. It doesn't totally shock me. I mean, this is a team. What, what did they lose to Louisville by last year? 30? So, wasn't it 49 to 12 or something like that? I mean, I don't have the score in front of me, but uh, pretty ugly. Uh, 48-16. I mean, they lost by 32 points to, to Louisville. And that's a team that a lot of people right now are penciling in as a win. They're like, oh, we'll beat Louisville. Yeah. Uh, NC State, they lost 38 to 22. It really wasn't that close. Oh, we'll be NC State. They, they lost by you know, 41-17 to Pitt. This was a, a really bad football team last year. If they if the three canceled games hadn't like had not been canceled, pretty sure you would have been three and nine, not three and six. I'm a little hesitant to to take offense with the rest of the media not voting guys on the All ACC team. Now, of course, I will note that I think the media that works for the schools also votes in this, which is probably how Georgia Tech got four votes to win the Coastal. FSU to finish fifth in the Atlantic actually is, uh, I think it's pretty fair. Somewhere between three and six, or third and sixth in the league would be my projection. I don't I don't really see a great path for them to end up second in the, AC, or in the Atlantic. Do you? Uh, no, not, not at this time. I don't. I almost want like I love the season, but I almost want to hit fast forward because they're recruiting so well. You know what I mean? I, w- I want to see like what these new players can do because I don't think these current players are any good. And that's not me. Like I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just like, man, there's a reason we get so excited about the recruiting right now. We see what these guys can do, and we see who else is chasing them. Let's see. One thing that has recently kind of come back to the forefront uh, is the like topic of vaccines and and kind of covid uh you know questions surrounding covid uh, of you know how games are going to be played how recruiting visits are going to be structured uh personally 
about the last topic that I would ever want to discuss on this podcast, but uh, it's worth us just carving out a couple minutes here, talk about uh, why the conference, the conference has set a, if 85% of your team is vaccinated, that's a pretty significant, you know, uh, barrier. Uh, I'll let you give the listeners a kind of a feel for what that actually means and maybe where Florida state is in their pursuit of trying to get there. Yeah. So, uh, I discussed this briefly after we left the ACC meeting or ACC media day. 85% looks to be the, the vaccine threshold that the conference is aiming for. That's similar uh, to most other conferences. I think, is the Pac-12 80%? One of the leagues is 80%. I think most of the other ones are 85 If you get the 85 like in a lot of the pro sports, uh, you don't have to go through all the different testing procedures. You don't have to do the masks in the building. You don't have to do some of the social distancing stuff and, and, and all those kind of things to where uh, you are much less likely to have to forfeit a game. So. It is fairly important if you want to win games this year, or more importantly, like not forfeit games, uh, that your team gets to that. Uh, I reported that the league was worried about FSU getting there. And uh, I, I do have some positive news on that front tonight, by the way. One of the guys who uh, was the most vocal on the team about being anti-vaccine, and he went ahead and, uh, and got it. So there is hope within the athletic program right now that because one of the most vocal guys who was kind of leading the charge against it, that since he, he went ahead and got it, more guys will, uh, will follow along. I think that's, that's probably a pretty positive sign given the, you know, what we're seeing right now across the country with all the, and the emergency rooms filling up and whatnot. Did you ever get any clarity, bud? Is exactly now I, I love in a world where Florida state's record is uh, the college football playoff concerns itself with it, but how this is going to be viewed as far as just a cancellation, uh, a loss. Do you have any ideas to how that's like how things are going to be looked at as we enter our second year of doing this? It's a great question. Uh, you're right. It's probably not that relevant to FSU for this year, but in the future it could be relevant, but it also could be relevant to the league and the league's payout from the playoffs. So we know right now, that the SEC will consider a game if you don't have enough players to play because of COVID uh, as a forfeit. You, ha you, you have to actually forfeit, especially if you don't hit the back threshold. The ACC has not officially announced that, but it sounded like that's what they are leaning to, right? As opposed to just a, a cancellation. Other leagues seem to be leaning that way too, but it's a little more mixed. I, I tweeted that, that out a couple of days ago. Our Brandon Marcello reached out to the College Football Playoff Committee. Uh, one of their spokespeople told him, I forget which, which AD or whoever it was, basically told him that we have not made a decision on that yet. We will discuss that at our meetings in late August. I think the, big, the, pack, excuse me, the College Football Playoff will likely just survey the landscape and then try to figure out what to do. So a lot of people made jokes. Like, well, if it's Ohio State, it certainly doesn't count after last year. <laughs> you know? Which was which was a good joke, but I, I do wonder how that's going to work because what if what if one league says it's a cancellation, and the other uh, team declares it a forfeit, or the, the other conference says it's a forfeit? Like what what do you do then? It could be it could be an absolute mess, and I will say that uh, you know I, I I say this all the time doing the no cast one of the bright spots the last ten years for me thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the only time that doing the no cast has been a 
a struggle is, has been parts of the last year or so. And, uh, you know, we've received some, some nice feedback and iTunes reviews talking about the fact that, you know, last 10 or 15 shows seem to be the, you know, we, we enjoy it and there's a lot of life in it. And I can just tell you, you know, talking about vaccine rates and everything else is, is not the reason why Bud and I started this podcast. So not necessarily a conversation uh, that we want to have, uh, but if we're going to go down this route again, bud, to where we're looking at games getting canceled or, you know, uh, concerned with the schedule or anything else. It sucked last year to, to have a, how many times did we have a, a game preview in the can and then end up just not even like, like it, it was, it was done 12 hours later because the game was canceled. Yeah. I think, I think three. That sucks. Oh, by the way, I did hear something. You, you might be interested in this. The game against Wake that, that they had to cancel last year, you know, they, they canceled it early in the week. Uh, Wake ended up having an issue too later mm. in the week. That game would have been canceled either way, apparently. Well, if we're sitting here talking about canceling games or maybe forfeiting, I'm just going to go ahead and lead the charge into year number two, bud. October 29th, I say we call up the good boys in the upstate of South Carolina, 864. Six five six. I won't. No, it's just the football office. So I'm not giving away any secrets. But uh, let them know that for year number two, our heart is broken, but we won't be able to play you yet again, Clemson. And we look forward to hosting you next year with perhaps a roster that is a bit more less, uh, you know, less likely to see fifty six to ten or whatever it may be. So if there's any shining light, uh, may it be that we absolutely infuriate Dabo Sweeney one more time and uh, avoid having to play Clemson here at their, uh, you know, most high point of their current little, uh, you know, fiefdom that they roll, roll over the ACC. <laughs> no doubt, man. It'll be interesting to see if Clemson hits the vaccine threshold. I, I suspect they'll get there, but I don't know. Who knows? Uh, they, they certainly weren't there as of ACC, ACC media day time. One one final thing, and I I hate talking about this vaccine stuff. It feels like you're you're watching politics for some reason. We had a good question from Twitter, and I forgot who asked this, but it was a really good one. I wanted to take it. In light of the potential for a dead period to come back and maybe no visitors allowed on campus or whatnot, are the teams who went really heavy on summer and spring official visitors, are they going to reap rewards if other teams are unable to host official visitors this fall? Ingram, do you have an opinion on that? Because I, I, I do. Yeah, we also, we had another question specifically tied to, if perhaps it was tied to the Notre Dame game that I thought was a, a great Twitter question as well. Um, oh, to the Notre Dame game? Do I think that they necessarily scheduled the Notre Dame game with COVID in mind? No, I don't. Uh, in retrospect, is it a good idea to go ahead and get everybody on campus uh, right out of the gate and have as impressive a showing as you can? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty damn good idea at this point. And, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, everything works out, but I can't see anything less than capacity being, uh, in play for the, for the Notre Dame game at this point. And, you know, maybe in, in retrospect, the, the coaching staff will, we could look even more bright for throwing as many chips into the middle of the table as they did for that game. This is going to be fascinating. Like you said, they've already basically you know sold all those tickets for that game. I can't imagine them having to issue refunds or something like that, or or, or to reduce capacity. Uh, but you know, it's what five and a half weeks away now. I guess we'll we'll see what happens. Um, 
FSU hosted, I think, 17 official visitors already so far this year. That's not the most in the country, but it certainly is more than some teams. I think Penn State did 42. Miami's done 36, which is just absolutely crazy. FSU, like I said, 17. They have 10 more coming for uh, for the Notre Dame game. And only a couple more scheduled after that. Earl Little Jr., uh, Wesley Besaint, and of course, Marvin Jones uh, Jr. in late November. But like the Mississippi schools didn't do any. Uh, BYU, I don't think did any. Clemson definitely didn't do any yet. UCLA did not do any yet. Those are schools, like if for some reason visits get shut down, they could be disproportionately uh, affected because they just didn't they didn't have anybody on campus for officials yet, which is a it's a risky move, but it, it's paid off in the past for some schools if they want to save that last visit. COVID just kind of throws another wrench into that equation. Uh, may we not have to talk about COVID much uh, moving forward. Uh, fingers crossed. Please. Let's hope that that's the case. Uh, so uh, one group of people that we're always uh, excited to talk about is our friends at Congruity. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, looked like we had a another listener uh, join in and uh, really thrilled to report that that is the case. Uh, Daniel Diaz is a gentleman that emailed me and, and Matt uh, just talking about his experience. And I'll just read this to you real quickly is honestly, Daniel puts this into words that are uh, better than, than I could. Uh, Daniel writes in all honesty, uh, it was due to the recommendation of you and Bud. I know that Nolcast curates their sponsors with an emphasis on quality. So when the need arose, I couldn't think of a better partner. And then once I spoke to Matt, I uh, couldn't find friendly, more helpful people. I texted Matt several times to go over several of the complications that arose to the nature of ownership. Uh, he mentions that it's a UK company. Uh, I won't go into the details of this company, but each step of the way, I received expert advice from the team and it's been nothing but smooth sailing. I would highly recommend Congruity because of the white glove service that you get from Matt and his team, Jackie and Vicky. So uh, Daniel, certainly appreciate you uh, supporting the podcast in the manner that you did. Congruity is uh, nothing but been a, a great thing for our podcast and people that we Look forward to working with uh, for years to come. And again, we will wish uh, Matt and his son the best of luck in the uh, World Series tournament uh, to take place in Georgia here on the 3rd of August. Awesome, man. That is, that is so cool. I, I love when we get those listener testimonials. Do you want to, uh, you want to touch on Marvin Jones Jr. a little bit here? Yeah, let's, let's swing uh, back to the recruiting scene. And All right, bud. So, you know, I, I mention this all the time. I've followed recruiting for an awful long time, and it's... Uh, a story oldest time in recruiting where a kid will, you know, have a, have a leader in the summer and then ultimately that not be the school that, uh, that he signs with. So I, I don't want to get too excited and I don't even know that I would flat out say that Florida state's the leader here, but I would say some of the behind the scenes conversation is what you would want slash need. If you were going to ultimately sign this kid at this point in kind of the proverbial horse race, I think Florida state's done a fantastic job. Uh, I think that if signing day were tomorrow, they would, you know, be really excited about uh, what the future had to hold. Now, like I said, ton of recruiting left by all accounts. This one's going to go uh, down to the absolute end. Uh, it also looks like there may be a couple different decision makers in play here. Uh, so it's, it's going to be complicated recruitment. Uh, but I think Florida State's done an exceptional job and, um, you know, it's a different recruitment than it was two months ago. I, I did not consider Florida State to be a real legitimate in-game, con- uh, you know, 
somebody that was going to be in consideration here. And uh, I don't think that's the case at all. And if anything, uh, again, if signing day were tomorrow, I would uh, feel fairly confident about Jones Jr. Uh, potentially going to Florida State. It's not. This is a race that's going to continue to have to be run. But uh, give the staff credit. They have, oh man, they've thought of everything in the world uh, in trying to get this recruitment right. And they've been really creative. And it's obviously made a strong impression upon the kid. It, it really has. I think they've done a great job pitching to Jones Jr. Obviously, um, you know, Jones Sr. does not need that much pitching. I also think they've done a good job uh, with, with Jones Jr.'s mom. And that, that's really important, as you mentioned, that the multiple people who help you make a decision in the process, uh, uh, whether or not they get them, I, I think they've just done a tremendous job coming up with, with, with the plan to recruit him. And I also think we should give a lot of credit here to Travis Hunter, right? A guy who basically makes it acceptable for really elite prospects to choose a school that has been historically great, but recently poor. Uh, throughout their high school career. That really matters a lot in this. But look, he also has visits coming up to other schools. We're just going to have to see like, how much uh, does he want to blaze his own trail as far as... There's actually different ways you can take that, right? You could say blaze his own trail with his dad having gone to Fort State and maybe you know, being arguably the best defensive player in the history of the school uh, with, with what he, he and Dion, I think, would be the two that you would maybe put there. Maybe Ron Simmons, just because how damn good he was in a different era. Yeah, as far as college careers, I, uh, yeah, Simmons is in conversation. But uh, Jones Jr. is legitimately one of the best three linebackers to ever play college ball, in my opinion. He's just a exceptional player, or, or Jones Sr., excuse me. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Blaze, Blaze's own trail could mean a couple different things. Could mean going to Florida state and not going to an Alabama or Ohio state, uh, at this point. So, uh, you know, that, that could, that could, <laughs> that could very much depend on the, uh, the eye of the beholder as to what that actually means. 100%. Um, so Brett's question that he sent us, we, we do have some listener questions here. Most of them come from our Patreon, patreon.com slash Nolcast. If you guys like the show, you can help support it with a small monthly donation. And uh, obviously, if you support us for a while, we do send you a T-shirt. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, you, your questions get priority for us to answer. It does not mean we, that we definitely always answer them, but it gets you to the front of the line when we go through the list. We always look at our Patreon questions first, and then we check the email and the Twitter machine. Uh, if you ask us a question on Twitter, you have to be pretty damn creative to get us to take it typically, or you need to find us on a very slow night, which because the Patreon has grown, we don't have that many super slow nights anymore. Uh, and that's a thanks to y'all, the listenership. So Brett writes, I think we already answered part of this, uh, but Nagram always loved the show. Thanks for putting it together. What does it look like for FSU and the ACC we'll try to do with realignment? Could FSU even break away from the ACC with media rights uh, contract? Is the contract breakable? Could Shannon get FSU a refi deal to find a new home? <laughs> Man, I guarantee you in our group text, he, like they, we were texting with, with, with Shad and Shannon today. And man, it's... I just said Shad and Shannon, huh? Uh, with, with Shannon and Chad tonight on the group text, and I I don't see it right now uh, as far as the conventional moves. So I don't see the a ACC just adding a team or two unless that that one of those teams is Notre Dame. And if they add Notre Dame, I really don't care who the other team is within reason. You know, Notre Dame's like, hmm, bring Navy, cool, yeah, that's fine. Bring Navy. That's, that's a traditional scheduling partner 
It's actually a very popular brand, surprisingly, if you've seen the ratings when uh, when Navy plays on TV. I, I, that's kind of the only move I can see the ACC proactively trying to make as far as adding just a, a team or two. Maybe some sort of scheduling alliance, as Ingram mentioned earlier, or maybe some sort of merger. I, I don't see the path. And I'm saying this as somebody who has not looked at the contract, but who have spoken with people who have spoken with people who had looked at the contract. I just do not see a path for FSU to get out of this deal anytime soon and just strike out on its own as an independent, like I know Kevin Lynn sent it into us asking a question about, uh, or to strike out with, let's say, Clemson and UNC or something like that. I just, I don't see where they would come up with the money. Yeah, yeah we covered most of that. I can promise you. If it came down to Chad trying to get a loan for Florida State to do that, uh, Chad is one of the more motivated people that I know about Florida State athletics, and he would certainly go the extra mile. Um, something, you know, again, something that we'll talk about. I'd love to hear anybody from the ACC sphere even drop a hint that there's some contractual flexibility here, uh, but that just hasn't been the case and until we hear that. Oh, Andrew Adelson did have something on it. Do you want to? Uh, so she tweeted this. It looks like right when we started the show. All schools trying to figure out the road ahead. As one administrator told me, the biggest difference now compared to 2010, 2011 is the grant of rights. One of the reasons that the ACC made the giant push to get the grant of rights done was schools like FSU drawing interest from other leagues back then. Do you remember when we were, when we were reporting on this that they, they had interest in the Big 12? I remember back to ACC spring meetings in 2012 when then FSU AD Randy Spetman, that was a disaster. Uh, used evasive speed to dodge reporters eager to ask about the Big 12. Within a year, the ACC had all schools sign a grant of rights, which now goes through 2036. Is it possible to get out of the grant of rights? Next tweet. Responding to herself. This is again, Andrew Adelson, ESPN, who covers the ACC as her beat and does a really good job. Anything is possible. But as one person told me, the grant of rights is real. It's a really good legal document. It doesn't mean schools are sticking their heads in the sand. Thrasher makes some excellent points, plus his thoughts on the direction the NCAA is headed are spot on. So she says anything is possible, which basically means, sure, if you can buy it out, yeah, it's possible. But the grant of rights is real, meaning it's not just some paper tiger. Like it actually, you did sign over your media rights, as did all the other schools, to the league through 2036. I am not aware. Are you aware of any sort of like buyout language? Do you remember this when when Maryland had a had a, an exit fee essentially? I'm not aware of an exit fee here. I don't think the ACC has an exit fee. I don't think there's an exit fee. You're I free to leave. They just keep all your media rights. Yeah, it's purely purely tied. Your hands are handcuffed by the GOR. No, I think, what did Maryland have? A $22 million exit fee or something like that? Negotiated down to. I think it was I think it was like 50 or okay. something like that. And they negotiated it down yeah. quite a bit. All right. Or maybe 30 and negotiated down to 22. I'm trying to recall yeah. now. No, it's been better part of a decade since that happened. So um, It was not nine figures, I can tell you that. Or eight figures. Uh, let's see. Next question comes from Trey. Choice Trey says, quick question. If brands mattered during the last realignment like they do now versus eyeballs slash cable sets, do you think the SEC would have chosen Florida State or Clemson over Mizzou? At the time, Clemson had not started their run yet. Not that any of this matters, but just curious. Well, I think this is a really good question. Ingram, which moves in the last, let's say, 10 to 12 years of realignment uh, do you think have held up and been good for the league? And which moves do you think will continue to be good for the league? From an ACC perspective? 
No, I guess just nationally. Well, A and M and Texas or A and M and the SEC is, has been a fit and uh, has worked out well. Missouri's probably, I guess you have to look at it as a package because that allowed them to get A and M. So I think that they would like that. That's about where it stops, in my opinion. I mean, maybe I'm missing out on people, but I think maybe. So here's here's an interesting question. I'm going to post something to you. And let me know what you think. I believe that the Big Ten is actually thrilled with the results that it got from Maryland and Rutgers for about the seven years that they've had them now. Because back then, if you added a team in the DC market and you added that team in the New York market, it got your dollar and 30 cents a month onto millions and millions of cable boxes there, which back then cable boxes were the name of the game. If you had more, a lot of people in your you know, metro area, your DMA, right? you would get a lot more money. That's why they were going after markets, not names. ESPN back then didn't particularly care if people actually watched Rutgers football or the cable companies didn't really care. They just said, okay, we had this many people in the market. Now you're adding a team in our market. A couple of people called and they they got, you know, what, Mediacom or whomever it is up there in the Northeast to add all those, those cable packages to have them add the Big Ten networks. That gave Big Ten their extra dollar thirty a month Per cable box in New York. Like, that's a huge, huge deal. That helped the Big Ten to really get ahead as far as building facilities and stockpiling some of these war chests and whatnot. So I think they absolutely got their money's worth for Maryland and Rutgers for that time period. Now that brands matter, and you see Maryland Stadium routinely tweeted out like it's the Miami Hurricane Stadium under Al Golden, they probably don't love Maryland as a brand. And they probably really don't love Rutgers as a brand because those are just kind of dead weight that they have to carry around in the conference. Because once people started realizing they could cut the cord, how many people don't give a damn about sports? I'll just use this because I can see metrics, right? And you know, about 90% of sports podcast listeners are male. How many single women out there would cut the cord and never pay a dollar thirty for the Big Ten network? A heck of a lot of cable accounts went away and are never, ever going to subscribe back again to sports channels, which sports channels made up the vast, not the vast majority, but like they were the most expensive channels on your cable package. So I do think that for the, you know, for the time they've had them, Maryland and Rutgers made a lot of sense because they'd expanded the Big Ten network dramatically. Going forward, probably don't love it. Nebraska is probably the one they love the most going forward because it's the biggest brand of those three. But I guarantee you, Nebraska did not expand the Big Ten network footprint all that much. There just ain't that many people in the state. Moving to the Big Ten certainly hasn't been a, a great thing for Nebraska, you know, from a no. cultural standpoint or many other ways. So, although now I'm sure that they're pretty cool with it since the Big Twelve is gonna it's gonna totally blow up. I imagine they th- really like their foresight on uh, why and when they moved. Absolutely, Colorado and uh, and Utah, not great. I would say most likely that 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 did not inspire. Well, but I mean, are you? I mean, did you really short sighted here? You you don't realize the power that comes with being the only conference that has a press presence in the Mountain Time Zone and the Pacific Time Zone. That's that is. Uh, power in the world of college athletics. Oh, this is true. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. A great quote from a conference commissioner. Uh, and there have been many recently, but that was a particular uh, head scratcher. I mean, he's got he's to say something, I guess. 
back to Trey's question here. What do you think? Would if they cared about brands more than markets back then, would they have chosen FSU or Clemson over Missouri? So do you remember the summer the summer before uh, all of the Big 12 speculation in Florida State? I went down to, to Destin one morning, woke up with a big hang- hangover, turned the TV on, and on the bottom of ESPN's scroll was that Florida State and Clemson were joining the SEC. Now, that, that quickly... Uh, Turned to like reports from our own. I think Doug Gottlieb had this at the time. They let Doug Gottlieb report on the story. Do you do you remember this at all? I remember like there being talk about it. Um, I mean, they ran it as a ticker for like two or three hours, like breaking news, and then they quickly started to kind of walk that back. But um, and I think it was even. I think I think it was Florida State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, and that's why. Oh, I found there the was tweet. A, okay. August 13th, 2011, high-ranking source of Texas A&M confirms going to SEC. Clemson, FSU, and Missouri likely to join. I thought that there was an Oklahoma angle to that one because that's where people thought that maybe Gottlieb was a little more tied in. But maybe maybe it was Missouri and Texas A&M. But my point of that is, is that, you know, was, is, was all of that fiction? Probably not. There was probably some shred of, of conversation there and something was either misconstrued, like it's rare that something like that gets thrown out and it's absolutely, um, you know, it's absolute BS. Uh, obviously that did not come to fruition. Uh, but I, I certainly think there's been some mutual interest from the SEC and Florida State and even Clemson. Uh, I know that this question here says that Clemson was not quite the brand that they are now, but uh, I think that that's, I think that there's been some interest from, uh, that conference and, and maybe multiple conferences in those two schools for quite a while. I, I think that makes that makes a hell of a lot of sense. I, I'm looking here. Uh, do you think that if they cared about markets more back then, or excuse me, uh, brands and not markets, that they that maybe if if issue in Clemson don't get blocked by Florida and South Carolina? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's harder to deny that, like, because Clemson's market sucks and Florida State's market kind of sucks. But their brands are big enough. A lot of people don't live in the Gulf of Mexico. They live six, seven hours away, but they still watch. Yeah. I mean, in, in Florida State's market, just because the school isn't in that market doesn't like just because Florida State's in Tallahassee doesn't mean that Florida State doesn't bring you the Tampa, Orlando, Miami market. Right. Right. And Florida fans would argue, or would, I'm sure Florida back then would say, we already have those folks, which was, you know what I mean? Like they, you weren't opening up new unrepresented territory, if I recall the the rationale back then, it's much harder for Florida fans to say, we already get you Florida State fans, right? Because that's just not true. Florida State fans don't watch Florida games. Florida fans are not watching Florida State games, not, not in big numbers at least. Well, hopefully we answered that question, Trey. I realized that uh, yeah, I kind of took it all over the place. But the um, next question comes from Anthony. Anthony says, didn't hear you talk much about the Big Ten as a possibility on the pod. I've heard Florida State is closer to achieving AAU status. Is it a sort of rolling admissions type thing or how difficult it is to obtain that status? And do you think hiring what would seem like an academic type coming from Harvard would particularly aid in the process? Well, I actually don't know fully how AAU works, but I do know that Nebraska had it when it joined and then it now no longer has it. So it has to be something that can, that you can kind of drift in and out of, I would guess. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I know that that gets thrown around with uh, with Big Ten <laughs> uh, like wants for you to even consider. I I don't know that that's the case. I have long thought that, in all honesty, an SEC invite probably wouldn't be coming uh, for Florida State, and that the their best hope as to what could happen is that the Big Ten would have some kind of Southern swing with the idea of opening up markets, with the idea of uh, opening up recruiting territories and look at taking something like, you know, Florida State, Clemson, Georgia Tech, and, you know, Miami, or maybe one other ACC school uh, with them to that conference. I, you know, if, if that's the direction that we're going, where we're, we're going to have two absolute mega conferences, then I think Florida State would certainly be part of the uh, consideration there. And, and personally, I think that would be an incredible, uh, incredible landing place for Florida State. But you know, we're just gonna. I don't. Again, the the earthquake has occurred. We're gonna have some. Um, you know, I think we're gonna have a couple years of kind of aftershocks, and then uh, we'll have probably a you know another pretty significant event that may may push us more towards some clarity as to what this is going to look like. But in the traditional model of conferences, uh, I think the Big Ten would be a fantastic landing place for Florida State. And I think they'd be very appealing to the Big Ten. I mean, they're not an AAU school, but they've certainly have, you know, they're one of the top 20 public universities. They would bring the state of Florida uh, from a, you know, interest perspective. And and you can't tell me that Michigan, Ohio State, or any of the other schools wouldn't like, uh, you know, their recruiting pitches in, in Florida and Georgia to be augmented by the fact that they would have, uh, you know, perhaps a, a schedule that would uh, allow those kids to, their parents and all their friends and everything else to see them a little bit more easily. So I'm a fan of the idea of the big 10. I don't think anything with Florida state in the big 10 is, uh, is in the here and now. Completely agree with you there. Uh, and I hope that I'm, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't think I am at this point. Uh, the second question from Anthony says, I saw bud, uh, I believe mentioned the difficult cross division pair of North Carolina and Miami in the comments on the 24 seven sports thread regarding predicted standings. I pointed out that uh, FSU has to play both Clemson, or excuse me, Miami and UNC from the other division, which is uh, you know the most likely record there is going to be 0-2. Uh, what would be your preferences in a year like this where the roster is weak versus a year where FSU is a borderline slash realistic title contender in terms of who FSU draws from the Coastal? This is a really interesting question to me. I, I thought about this a little bit. In a year like this where it's going to be a struggle to make a bowl and you need to find a way to turn around and beat teams that housed you last year by four or five touchdowns. If you want to have a shot to go to a bowl, which is why I'm like, I don't know, you know, five and seven, six and six, flip a coin. Um, in a year like this, I think you would much rather get a Duke or um, you know somebody else from the Coastal Division, maybe a Georgia Tech, not have to play UNC and Miami, even though you beat UNC last year. You know, if they line up and play that game again, I think we're both going to pick pick UNC. But if you're kind of a middling team where you know you're going to go to a bowl, but you aren't seriously going to contend for the title, I think that's probably the best year to play those teams because you can kind of catch your loss if you want to, or not want to, but if you have to catch losses, catch them on a year where like you're not going to risk missing a bowl. It's not going to hurt your recruiting that bad, but you know you're also not blowing a potential title shot. If you have a real title shot, you'd prefer not to play a whole lot of games where you could really lose. But in the future, maybe we'll have like a 50-team playoff and, and we'll have teams with like four or five losses getting in. So it may not matter. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I, we're all waiting to see what the college football playoffs ultimately becomes and what it looks like. I know that, uh, you know, in one of these years where you have got a realistic chance, you think you can maybe win the division, uh, you're certainly going to hope for a friendly draw from the Coastal. I'm not, you know, no S Sherlock uh, as far as a comment that goes, but you're particularly going to want it with the way that you've scheduled at a conference. I mean, you're not going to want having to climb the mountain that is Clemson, having to play Miami every year, and then have some other ridiculous draw from the Coastal and, oh, by the way, have to play Georgia, LSU, or Alabama. Um, so, yeah, hopefully in the years in which you've got a roster and Travis Hunter's a junior and you think you're on the verge of doing something, uh, certainly wouldn't break my heart to draw, you know, do compare them with Miami or something like that. That, that would make a lot of sense. All right, uh, who do we want to take here? Let's go ahead and uh, Hunter's question. All right, so Hunter writes, question for the mailbag. I've heard a lot of recruits' names be coming uh, for the Notre Dame game this year, both official and unofficial visit. What, if anything, is different from game day visits and summer official visits? Game day visits seem like a tough situation where the coaches either have to focus on recruits and give them the attention they expect, our focus and uh, making sure the actual players are prepared for the game. All right. Uh, well, this is pretty interesting. The game day visits for summer official visits. First of all, it, it is the attention on the day of, right? Like Coach Ravel is going to give you attention, but he also has a game to coach. So that's that's kind of a negative in some ways for the game day. But on the positive side, you're going to get to see Coach Ravel going through some of his preparations for game day if you're a recruit, right? So you get to kind of see how the operation is run a little bit a little bit better in real time as opposed to over the summer, they're having to try to show you and somewhat tell you what it's about. So it, honestly, it's kind of like, are you somebody who's going to get swept up in the emotion of game day? Then they probably want to have you there on game day. If you're somebody who maybe wants to learn a little bit more about the operation, maybe it's better to have you there over summer. Um, you definitely get a little bit less attention on the game day one. Obviously, you get to go to a game. You get to experience a college, a college game, which for a lot of the times, these kids have actually never done. But it is definitely tough. I mean, like these coaches will say, like, shoot, we, we, we just lost a game. Now we got to flip it right back into recruiting mode. We got to go meet with these guys. Uh, you got to check your emotions and get right back into the grind of recruiting. And then you got to get up early next morning and get ready for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. The, the old challenge of making the sales pitch uh, the morning after. And hopefully you've got a, uh, you know, a game with which you can reference with some kind of, uh, you know, positivity or, or confidence. Um, all right. So final question of the night comes from Chris. So before we get to Chris's question, uh, we'll just thank our friends at, at Madison Social. Uh, you know, we say all the time that, you know, Matt Thompson and his team are, are uh, you know, magnifiers of, uh, of the Florida State athletic experience and that they just get it. And uh, I don't know that there's a better example of that than, then what Matt did um, with the fundraiser that he set up for Jason McDowell will obviously acknowledge the passing of Jason, a great uh, Florida State athletic supporter and um, by all accounts, a, a, just a, a really great individual. Uh, but Matt, you know, Matt, he'll take leadership on something. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll move in a direction uh, to which, you know, maybe fills a space. And I just want to thank him for, for what he did on this. He has raised uh, almost $8,000. For, for Jason, part of that will go towards a brick in front of Dope Campbell Stadium, and the rest will go to his family. Uh, so by the time you hear this podcast, that fundraiser will probably be closed. Uh, but a tip of the hat to uh, a longtime sponsor 
uh, of ours. And, uh, you know, Matt and his team are, are a great place to go and enjoy a game or enjoy a beer, but uh, also, you know, as, as uh, interwoven with the broader Florida State community and, uh, you know, sadly, um, a, you know, a great example of it, uh, but a, a sad example of it. Yeah, man, he, he just, they're part of the community, you know, and I, I, I'm really proud, of, really proud to partner with those guys. So, uh, Chris's questions, I have, uh, I have an ever exciting kicker question, Chris, I, uh, you know, appreciate the, uh, sarcasm there, a real man after my heart, but, uh, he says, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Let's say the Notre Dame game is tied with two seconds to go and Florida state has the ball on the 30 yard line, which kicker do you think Norvell is sending out there to win the game? Neither of the place kickers really separated themselves last year. And for a team that is going to need every point they can get to get to a bowl, someone needs to be reliable. The Wake Forest game in 2019 sticks out as a recent one where kicking would have won us the game. Thanks for your input. And as always, go Knowles. I mean, based on last year, I think it kind of depends on uh, on how long the field goal is. On the distance? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... So Parker, uh, you know, Growth House, he tried five of the seven from 40-plus. Fitzgerald tried two uh, from 40-plus. Parker hit three of five. Fitzgerald hit one of two. Uh, but from shorter range, Fitzgerald three of five. Parker one of two. So I don't know, man. I don't really have a lot of confidence in either of these kickers. Do you? I, I'm, I'm not... This is not an area of the team that I think is a strength at this point. Yeah. No, not, uh, not necessarily an area that, you know, Look, we'll just have to see. Hopefully, somebody will uh, will make this position theirs, and will give us a little more clarity. But I, Bud and I were talking about the cl- pace, uh, the place kicking position before we started recording tonight, and uh, you know, it's a story that's yet to be written, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, we're like an over an hour. Yeah, while we're recording, just want to throw a big tip of the hat to Coach Ham and the Florida State uh, basketball program for the second year in a row. Florida State has had the fourth overall pick in the draft. Just there's not there's not a whole lot more to be said about what Hamilton's done with this program. Um, yeah, a note that I saw that Ira put out on Twitter. I'll give him credit. Uh, Florida State's now produced six first round picks in the last six in a, uh, six NBA drafts um, and nine first round picks since 2007. Before 2007, Florida State had produced seven first-round picks in the entirety of the program. Coach Ham been one of the more transformational people in Florida State athletics, and all the credit in the world goes to you to the program that you built. No doubt. All right. Uh, I think that's it for tonight. That'll be it for tonight. Two pods during the week. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, as always. We'll try to get this out to you here Friday, and you can either, uh, you know, uh, run out the clock <laughs> on a day in the office with it, or uh, hopefully find some time over the weekend to uh, sit down and listen to uh, another episode of the Nolcast. But uh, for myself, Bud, our producer Judson, uh, thank you very much for your uh, support. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it as always, and this has been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.